Algar Productions. Welcome to the Death of Podcast. I'm Al, and this is Amanda. Hello. And we're making our way through Terry Pratchett's This World Series one book at a time. This month, we're discussing my favorite book of all time, mm-hmm. book 34, Thud. So this is just going to be like our normal 45 minutes to an hour discussion, right? It is, because I'm going to keep it like I have to. That's that's my job. Your favorite thing? You're going to talk about your favorite thing for just a little bit? I'm I'm going to try to highlight the best parts, but it is difficult. Are you just going to read the whole book to the audience? I, seriously, the one that I, I want to read is eight pages in the Kindle. It's so prob- many pages. Probably like four pages in the actual book, but uh, yeah. Just pick the best part. Just me, pick the best part of your favorite book. Oh, boy. Let me let me summarize it for you. I did manage to do that in our usual brief way. Vimes prevents a troll dwarf war. And that is completely accurate. Yeah. Like, you, you did hone it down. I didn't cut down. any corners yep. there. So, that is, that is what happens. Um, but there's so much. We're still in what I call, like, his golden period. Mm-hmm. Like, his, his, like, firing on all cylinders. I would say it started around the first Tiffany book. Mm-hmm. And it goes The first Tiffany book is so good. Yeah, and the second one too. And um, Going Postal, this one, Mm -hmm. it it goes to the next few. I would say there's there's, uh, five to seven books Mm -hmm. that are just sort of perfect or close to perfect, like the the ideal Discworld book. They're so dense and everything's interrelated and everything just clicks and yeah. This one very much has that, where everything leads into everything else and everything's interconnected, and there's a ton of themes that work together uh, with the actual plot and what's going on with the character development. It's really, really good. And also something that goes away a bit as his uh, infirmity sets mm-hmm. in, the the uh, overt comedy mm-hmm. starts slipping away a few books after this one, but it's still very much in evidence here. There's a there's a bit that runs through this where a historical figure thinks he's a chicken mm-hmm. and it's the silliest thing and it ties into the plot in he very meaningful ways. He thinks he's a chicken or he thinks a chicken is following him. Nobody's really sure mm-hmm. is part of the thing, but it ties to the plot mm-hmm. in a very crucial way. It's also ridiculous. Like it's it's so good because he manages and and all the like footnotes and asides mm-hmm. are good like all the comedy works, but it's all very serious, too. It's just that perfect mix. And, yeah, I love it. And it deals with some specific themes that I find personally relatable, which is why it's my favorite book. So where to even begin? Like, there's there's a lot to talk about, but maybe you should drive for a minute since... Since I, you're just going to talk about everything? I just... Yeah, I it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. Well, let's start with some of the side bits and okay. work our way into the center. Yeah, that works. Um, so uh, let's actually start with your good thing. Well, this is by far the best watch ensemble book. Mm-hmm. It's very much about Vimes, and key parts of it involve his character, essential parts of his character, and and dealing with some things inside his Mm -hmm. head, things that have been going on since his first appearance, and his evolution, and all of that. But pretty much everyone in the watch gets something to do, not just just contributing to the plot, but interesting for us to watch. And we get a new character, uh, Sally, who is a vampire that they, uh, that Vimes gets hoodwinked into hiring. Which is a natural progression Mm -hmm. of the second, I believe the second watch book was Hire a Dwarf and a Troll. Mm-hmm. And then it was... A Golem. A Golem. 
And then it was, okay, a gargoyle and like Igor's Mm -hmm. and like it's been building to this. But every time he's like, I hate vampires and he goes into it in this one. It's the same with his royalty thing. It's because they think they're better and Mm -hmm. people believe it and they they, uh, kowtow to them and Mm -hmm. he hates that so much. And even though we get this new character she's not shortchanged. No. Like we, you talk about this being a true ensemble book as well as getting something for all of the other characters to do. Uh, we get to know this new character fairly well. Right. So Detritus gets some stuff. Angua, this is by far the best Angua book. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. This is, um, I'm not a big, I don't like Angua that much. Yeah, I don't really like her character. There's not a ton there. See, you always say that. And yeah. because I've read this book so yeah. much, that's what I think of her because she's got a lot. Like, there's she's a got chunk a, of this book from her POV. She's got a lot going on in this book, but yes. up until this point, uh, okay. she's just sort of around. I just, because this is the one I've read the most, this is what I think of the most. Like, I would say, I would say a good 10% of this book is told exclusively from her point of view in an interesting way. Like, mm-hmm. The way she perceives smells and her whole thing, the ongoing thing with Carrot and and Mm -hmm. thinking of herself as his property and his dog in some ways. And and then her rivalry with this new vampire character because Mm -hmm. of the whole werewolf vampire thing. It's all very, very good. It's, like I said, by far the best uh, Angua book. There's some good cheery stuff. There's some good, even Colin and Nobby, Mm -hmm. who are always the side, like, comic relief characters contribute to the story and we get a whole passage about why vimes keeps them around and it's not just because they're old friends it's they add something essential to the watch this is also the best sybil book and Mm -hmm. that's kind of sad because she's actually not in it that much No, she's still kind of a Uh, non-presence but she's yeah yeah, she's maybe five percent of the book but but, she gets some moments but she gets some good this is the this is sort of when i think of sybil this is this is what I'm thinking about right. is her presence. We'll in talk this about book. that. Yeah. Talk about what, like her moments that you're talking about. So uh, we have um, Vimes is running around solving, like trying to solve a murder. And it turns out that it's very politically motivated. And uh, it, then some assassins are sent after him mm-hmm. and to his home, to his home, but not after him in the streets. They're sent to his house right. to threaten uh, young Sam and Sybil. Mm-hmm. And they come at Sybil with a, like a flamethrower, like a, like a fantasy flamethrower. Yeah. That, well, not really fantasy. Like we're getting to the point where there is still mm-hmm. some magic and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but they use this very scientific tool to ignite pockets of gas in their minds like i i like that it's this sort of continuing development yeah, of the technology it's not for, a, it's for not reasons. a weapon like it's right. it's a tool but, but just a like a just yeah. like a scythe the scythe can be a tool or it can be a weapon exactly um and so they come to get lady sybil but she's out in her dragon pens mm-hmm. and oh you're gonna fight fire huh yeah guess what <laughs> guess what that old expression really mm-hmm. means and so they throw some flames at her, and then she uh, she's wearing her dragon uh, mm-hmm. her dragon. Uh, yeah, so she's hair. already fireproof. So yeah, so she's fine. And mm-hmm. then all of the dragons light up and just flame the guy. Mm-hmm. She says, "Duck, Sam." Yeah. And then you know, go for it, boys. Yeah. 
It's very good. And there's a lot of talk in this about her. Like, she ends up going with Sam to stop the troll Yeah, she's war, got a troll practical and, uh, con- contribution yeah. to the plot, but there's also, she just kind of wants to go. But she wants to go because of how Ramkin women are. Yes. Like, she's built in that mold of the, uh, we saw this actually for the first time in a carry-on movie. Yes. Uh, but it's. It's a it's a famous sort of British thing. Yeah, I think. where you're handing around sandwiches while the embassy is like being bombed right. and just completely unflappable and just yes s- just steel underneath and we've heard a little bit about that but this is the first time where we've actually seen it and it talks about her lineage about how mm-hmm. these generations of ramkin women have been like that to the point where she's like the ultimate realization mm-hmm. of this and she like she steps up when it needs to and then afterward she's like oh sam jesus and like <laughs> yeah. it's nice because she's still human she's not just like this this steely whatever it's it's a nice like shading of the character i think and you're right we both remembered her being this throughout and she's barely been in it and that's so disappointing because mm-hmm. she's such a great idea for a character but there's just that not that much of her in it but this is when i think of sybil this is yeah same this is what i think of i think of her in this same um, but, uh, going back to Sally, uh, mm-hmm. I, that was, it was so, there's a sequence where Vimes is being, he, he gets tricked into hiring her, mm-hmm. uh, cause he says, oh, well, uh, I can't hire a vampire because I'd be happy to hire a vampire if one applied, but they don't, they apply. don't apply because it, this job is too grubby for them. Yes. Who oh, would well, be, as it happens, <laughs> yeah. commander. <laughs> Who would be stupid enough to apply to the watch? Hello. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Sally, I, I quite like. She's uh, a very good character. She's a very good character. Also, she has, of probably any um, Discworld character so far, the biggest bisexual haircut energy well, I've ever seen. By far. Well, Terry Pratchett himself like describes her a bit this way, but mm-hmm. has said, had said in interviews, like she looks like young Liza Minnelli. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. There you go. And I don't know if, like, she is meant to be, like, if it's textual or if that's just sort of how it comes off because she admires Carrot, like, because mm-hmm. he's, like... A, oh, she's got a huge yeah. thing for him and then immediately realizes that he belongs to Angua and backs off. Yeah, but she sees him and is like, hey there, hey uh-huh. there, sailor. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's a little flirty with Angua, but Angua would never notice it because I, yeah, she's so she laser-focused on Carrot. And then she talks about um, Nobby's girlfriend, who is a an ex- like um, exotic dancer, a, yeah, like a pole dancer, yeah, like a, yeah. Uh, and like it talks about her in a very sort of like she had curves all the way down to her feet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, just everything she says. Yeah, it's not just a, a clinical description. It's clearly there's some admiration there. Yeah, and I think like it's it's because he's gotten. Like, and obviously you can speak mm-hmm. to this way better than I can, but I think he's gotten way better at writing women mm-hmm. and he's writing, he's confident enough that he's writing women who are comfortable in their sexuality and open in their sexuality. She's a vampire. Right. And traditionally they are very much that, but she's also a young woman. So it plays a little differently than your typical sort of like flirty count or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're, you're middle-aged, like, why don't you come back to the castle? Like mm-hmm. she's just a horny 20 year old girl who just joined the watch and it's such a unique thing to this series and i really enjoy it and there's a quite a funny bit where she materializes after being humming a whole bunch of bats and 
Angua says, well, why, you, why didn't you materialize with clothes? You could do that. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I can't. It's like, it's like a woman vampire thing. We don't know why the it, men can do that. We can't. It's, she says she thinks it's the underwired nightdress thing all over again. Yeah. And that's a nice sort of meta commentary on vampire literature, I mm-hmm. assume. Just like, I don't know, because men are written that way and women aren't. Yeah. But the, the rivalry between them that very quickly blossoms into a friendship is very good. There's a bit where they're literally mud wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sally stops and says, we're literally mud wrestling. Yep stop she says like they never fight for very long no it and both of them are trying not to do the werewolf very aware that there's a there's a long-standing rivalry and she's my sergeant Mm -hmm. and she's the new lance constable like they they both get it i like it a lot and hearing both of them talk about well, you have it easy because this. Well, you have yeah. it easy because this. It's it's very good. You only have to deal with being a werewolf like a couple days in the month. I have to be a vampire all the time. Yeah, but everyone thinks vampires are charming mm-hmm. and you wear the black ribbon and mm-hmm. I can't just stop eating chickens or whatever. Oh, there's this great bit where Angua is talking about how uh, everyone wants to believe that vampires are not like mm-hmm. evil because they're so beautiful and charming and yes. everyone just sort of takes pity on werewolves because they're like a sad monster and so it's so good it's a nice callback to the somewhere between a wolf and a human mm-hmm. basically a dog but mm-hmm. it's not it didn't feel like a retread it's just like he he went into Con- much more continuing detail to think about it yeah yeah and i love all that and i love they're they're blossoming at least respect if not full on friendship. They go on a ladies' night out. Mm-hmm. It's the two With of them, Cheery. and then Cherry Little Bottom, yeah. and then this dancer that's mm-hmm. dating Nobby. And I think it's delightful. Like again, you can speak to the actual like uh, feminist viewpoint and, and and all that. I just think in terms of the previous books, this is the strongest showing he's had of like. Four very different points of view mm-hmm. from four different female characters. They talk a bit about Nobby, but other than that, so it passes the Bechdel test. It kind of doesn't, though, because they are they spend most of the time talking about Nobby. I think and a couple Carrot. of the scenes do because it cuts back and forth. Yeah, it was mostly talking about uh, their relationships with right. men. Okay, but you said something that I, that I think is kind of important. This is um, to this point, most of Terry Pratchett's women have been very serious characters. Yeah, that's what stuck out to yeah. me the first time. Is like the women. Like, I get, I do this as a writer, as on mm-hmm. you know way down here, and he's at the top of his game doing this. Okay, you're a dude. You write women. You you don't want to do it badly mm-hmm. so the women are all serious characters and you called out a long time ago something that i've tried to be more aware of the woman being sort of the scoldy yeah, mother the, type the fun killing mom like she doesn't because i always get to make play the, along because i would always write the dudes as idiots mm-hmm. and the woman is the competent one and that's what would result and so i'm trying to be more aware of that but it's still easy to say this is the best way to take a woman seriously is they're always the serious she's a serious ones. character like tiffany is very resolute and of course granny yeah. is the most serious person in the entire series and and so on and so on yeah nanny's fun but these four but they were this is sort of a goofy yeah they're like, just out drinking time. it doesn't really add to the plot it just sort of adds some seasoning to the characters but this actually kind of leads into um my bad thing and i'll say 
I had to scrape pretty hard to find a bad There's thing because this of, yeah. book's really good. Yeah. Um, We're in the period where it's difficult. But that being said, there's some kind of clumsy gender stuff in this one. Okay. Um, there's a sequence where uh, Vimes is looking at uh, a bunch of the watch officers and uh, young Sam is brought into the... Um, yeah, it's after yeah. the attack on his home and he wanted to bring the family someplace safe. And Vimes says, oh, yes, sure, dwarves are all supposed to be yeah, presenting like, as male presenting and as we male. can't tell which ones are yeah, ladies. But as soon as you get like a kid in the room, you can tell which ones are ladies because of how they like ooh and ah over uh, yeah. over a kid. And I just like, mm, I, I get what he's saying. The thing is I've but, seen it happen when I work in an office. But I've seen it happen with dudes who go like goo goo gaga for babies. And there's usually also a contingent of women who are like, please don't hand me that. I'm See, I don't... I. Uh, Apart from you, well, that's not true. I know plenty of women like that, mm-hmm. but like in a workplace environment, I worked around the military for a long time, and I think probably the watch is a similar kind of environment where people sort of gravitate to the more traditional roles, and they that that's not great. But it's also like it's, I'm not defending it to be clear. Uh... I've just observed this in and in other settings. There's also some stuff with um, Tawny or Betty. Um, uh, who is Nobby's girlfriend in this, mm-hmm. who's like supposed to be like sort of a Jessica Rabbit type, like completely like va va voom. Yeah, to the point where dudes are so intimidated that they won't ask her out. Yeah, and so she is dating Nobby because Nobby just will ask anyone because he gets rejected all the time anyway, so it doesn't matter to him anymore. Uh, and there's so some, is that problematic? Uh, there's just some stuff in here that um, sort of like the bombshell airhead joke stuff where there's a, there's a bit things, where yeah. he's like, well, it's like a god said... Um, you're you're going to be real real stupid girl, but it's not going to matter because you're so pretty. And it's like, ah, shut up. I get that, but on the other hand, I like. First of all, she ends up being kind of an interesting character because she she's like, yeah, she's dumb, and some of that's cheap. Mm-hmm. But I like her naivete, like genuine naivete. Like she thinks she's doing art, mm-hmm. and. She doesn't see it as particularly like for the purpose of titillation, and she doesn't like. Well, she, she says the reason, like they're like, "Why do you think they hired you at this at the dance club?" And she's like, "Because I'm good," yeah. and she is like, she did. Uh, yeah, like she how did a, earnest yeah, she is. She did a bunch of dance schools, and uh, actually, like even yeah, and even Nobby says when he comes in to the to the club, he's like, "Oh no, this bit's really hard yeah. uh, because it's like it is a skill, it yeah. is a it is an art," uh, and, and I liked that. Yeah, and. Again, she's probably, you know, she's the weakest of them. Mm-hmm. But this group of four of them that have all very different attitudes, it's, it's almost sort of like that Sex in the City mix. I mm-hmm. don't know how it breaks down. I I watched that show a long time ago. I don't remember a lot about it now. But, like, you got Sally, who's just overtly sexual and mm-hmm. talking about it all the time. You got Angua, who is a sexually active woman but doesn't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. You got Cherry, who's very sheltered. And then you got Tawny, who just is kind of clueless. And mm-hmm. I think it's a nice interesting mix but then on top of that i think it's interesting that nobby everyone assumes nobby's a creep right because he comes off like a creep and it turns out he's completely not he hasn't tried to sleep with her that's not what he's after he just likes that he's dating a pretty girl and that's mm-hmm. that and it's kind of cool And she says she likes him because he's a gentleman but like, it doesn't come off like he's a nice guy yeah like because there's that there's oh well you know like the nice guy gets the girl like no mm. it's not that it's one being in the environment she's in, it's nice having a watchman around, but also the whole confidence thing. And there's a, there's a lot going on there. I don't know. I like that. I 
I I completely appreciate that there might be some problematic yeah, stuff. Yeah, like there, I say, but, it wasn't but like... lightly problematic, yeah, not like deeply misogynist. It, no, if some of the early books, I was like, oh, woof, Sir Terry, come on, man. Yeah. But in this, I didn't feel like that. I just felt like it was a little like, Neh. Some of the jokes are a little cheap, and like... It was yeah, but like, there aren't Neh. nearly as many, like... Yeah. He doesn't, like... Like with the fat jokes with Agnes, for instance, where he'd just... He'd start... He'd find a vein, and he'd and just, just follow it yeah, forever. Whoa, like, yep. Yeah, one or two, and he'd go on with it. Yeah. Um... There's a good joke where um, they're ordering, like, dumb name cocktails. Oh, yeah, he's clearly grinding axes about those really shittily, like, badly yeah. pun-named. Yeah. And Angua says, what's a screaming orgasm? And Sally says, we we got to you just in time. Yeah, it's very oh, good. Oh, it's and very then good. A, but then there's a follow-up to that with uh, with Cheery. And I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. exactly how that goes, and I can't, so I'm looking for it in the book. Just look up no. Screaming Orgasm. Yes, I am. And it only appears twice, so that's it. <laughs> Cheery hopefully negotiated for a Screaming Orgasm. Mm-hmm. That's Very it. good. Yeah. And actually, it did kind of um, also... I'm also reminded when we were sort of talking about their sexuality that uh, Angua and Carrot have a sexual relationship. Like, that yes. was made very clear in yes. the previous books. And they, uh, it sounds like they cohabitate because uh, Carrot often talks about her bed not being slept in. Right, or uh, when she's a wolf, her basket. Yeah, uh, which maybe they do, maybe they don't, but they are clearly, like... Yeah, it they, sounds like yeah. they're... Yeah, plus, they've been, like... I th- I would guess at least five years have passed since mm-hmm. her first appearance and there's they've been together this whole time so they're pretty serious and I, I i liked all of that stuff and i liked again i liked that okay maybe it didn't technically pass the back mm-hmm. test but we still had like in a watch book which are usually very it, heavily typically it's angua yeah the end but cheery has made yep. a pretty good showing in the last several books i love cheery talking about all of like the chain mail dresses and mm-hmm. stuff and like dwarf femininity yeah because she's so like she's kind of leading the charge here but also she doesn't really know where she's leading mm-hmm. she wants to but she just doesn't know and so it's nice that she has these lady friends to help her mm-hmm. but i just again it didn't even add anything to the plot it was just nice like, no, it was seasoning. just it was just character stuff it was yeah. very enjoyable and Here's here's four ladies mm-hmm. hanging out for a while and like good good job he's doing better, so so there I, I will uh, add to that though my good mm-hmm. my bad thing was also like scraping because again favorite book um, some of the naggy wife stuff from Sybil oh that's that their whole like Vimes and Sybil's whole relationship there's some stuff that really bugs me about it well she wants him to eat better and she's always nagging him to like. There's a running bit, and it's a funny thing. We point this out a lot, where it's like we shouldn't be laughing, but he's so good at constructing it jokes is, that we laugh anyway. Is, it is funny, but it's it comes from a place that I don't love. We've done we've I mean we laughed at some of the fat jokes. We laughed at things that we, yeah we very clearly call out as things we don't y- like. You laugh and then you go fuck. He got he's, me. He's he's so good at words, at constructing, at presenting ideas in a funny way. And there's a runner about. A BLT, mm-hmm. like he wants to eat a BLT as a meal. It's his, it's a regular meal, and she wants it to be mostly L and T, and he wants it to be mostly B. And right. it's cute, but it's also like she's nagging him to eat better because men they eat garbage. Am I right? And women are also, the only one to keep them. She wants him to live longer mm-hmm. Aww, because they just yeah. had a kid, yeah. and she doesn't want to raise it on her own. Yeah. Now, all of that said, the relationship with his kid, oh boy, it's really, really sweet. And yes, it is. It. 
I hate to put it in this light, but it really casts a juxtaposition to how bad the relationship is written with Sybil. It, yeah, that's true. Because the relationship with with young Sam is so good. Yes. And then you look at how he is able to open up and love young Sam and then how he is with Sybil. Yeah. There's even a bit where he's like, he's talking about, well, he'd roll his eyes to be like, women, am I right? Uh, with some of the other watch officers and he doesn't because it's Carrot who won't understand and like uh, an Angua or something where she would just be annoyed because he's being a jerk. Uh, but also yeah. at the end of that bit, he says, I want it to be very clear that she makes me incredibly happy. Right. Like, I'm just griping, but I do love her. Like, he does make a point of saying that. So he does, but it's just... It would be better if we were to see more of that. Yeah, because all we ever see is him either being worried about Sybil there's... or complaining about no, her. No, there's, a... there's some. There's some flavor here. There's, for instance, she darns his socks mm-hmm. badly, and he doesn't say a thing about it because she wants to feel useful, and it's a thing she was raised to do, and he just puts on the the uncomfortable socks and footwear is a huge thing for mm-hmm. him there have been hundreds maybe thousands of words written about his footwear preferences so that's a pretty big deal yeah but what that is is him not complain like him having a big thing that he's not complaining about that's an important Th- look we're a married couple would you not agree Picking things not to complain about <laughs> yeah, is a very important. Yeah, like there's <laughs> but, tons of things. But that's that's a that's a necessary part of a relationship, yeah. but it's not a nice part. Okay, and, that's and I'm, fair. I'm not saying it's not something that isn't worth exploring, but there's so little nice that's, between Sybil and Sam. We should have we should yeah. have. But okay, all of that said, the stuff with his kid is so good. So good. We need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. That's one of the main things that I love about this book. Well, one of the the sort of the driving themes or uh, plot points of this book is that it's important to to Vimes that he make time every day for his son. Well, we've uh, seen throughout mm-hmm. the book, like as soon as he hooked up with Sybil, he never has time for her. That's the main part of why their relationship is so like, mm-hmm. isn't as good as it could be because he's always, if work pulls him away, that's the more important thing. Right. Here's where he's decided to draw the line. And I'm, I don't want to talk about how the Sybil thing the whole time. Right. But, no, no. But... To draw the line there, he has decided that his kid is important enough and he will make time. Right. And so every day at six o'clock, he comes home, even if it's just for an hour and he has to go out again. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to read to Sam before he puts him to bed. And there's this very specific book. And Mm -hmm. we actually had a look at this as well. Mm -hmm. Because because I I own it because it's it's a great little illustrated Mm -hmm. uh, side piece to this called Where's My Cow? And it's that's just the book. In the book. Yeah, the the printed version, though, is a sort of meta. Mm-hmm. We we sort of zoom out to mm-hmm. see Sam reading it to young Sam. Mm-hmm. And we see, like, in here, he it briefly talks about him telling his own version one time. Like, here are all the things you see in the city. And right. then making snide comments about it. And Sybil saying, please, please don't. Don't. Please don't teach the kid to say bugger it like Fowl Ron does. That's, that's bad. It's actually kind of a, a good bit in the book where... Um, Sam, uh, Vimes does that and uh, Sybil doesn't say anything yeah. but she's aware of it and then the next day um, young Sam says yeah, bugger bugger it. It. yeah, yeah. And, and she sort of gives him a meaningful yeah, okay. look and that, that's a, and mm, then they never talk about yeah, it yeah don't again. don't teach your kid to say fuck I guess yeah. but I don't know anything about that <laughs> no but he's he, like 
he's he's reading this like most children's literature is you know safe little fluffy animals and he's like this kid is being raised in the city like i was he doesn't know what a fluffy animal looks like he knows a rat and that's it so why don't i teach him you know the vimes version but he goes a little too far with it but yes it is this moment and it's described so beautifully Mm -hmm. like everything goes pink at one point he says just like all the problems melt away and mm-hmm. all the it's just this one pl- this place this time is for them and it's so good and he's not like there are times where maybe he leans on the macho thing a little too much he's not too bad about it no but vimes is a macho i mean character. He, yeah he is a, like a, a tough guy cop who like lights his cigar and says the one-liner is he's killing the bad guy but he you know all our problems aside does love his wife and and he really loves his he son. He loves his kid, and he, it's not like this is so important to him. And it's it would be so easy to write him as like I I don't I'm not gonna read a book to my boy. That's like we'll play ball or something. Like no, no. He or gets it. um the that um raising a child is something Woman's that work. women should do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nope. He he doesn't feel that way. He wants to be there. Yes, and it's so very good, and. The passage I wanted to read and I won't because it's so very long. It's super long. But it's so good. It's very good. It's my favorite part of my favorite book. It's okay. So we're, this is near the end. This is like the, the climax of the third act. This is he's he's going to the, the den of where the bad guys are. And he's deep underground. He doesn't know where he is exactly. And he doesn't know how to get out of there. And it's six o'clock and he can't get back. Mm-hmm. And he's got this. And we'll talk about this more, but he's got this force in his head driving him to, like, channel his rage and do horrible things. And he somehow, in in that same way that Granny turned the vampires back around on them, channeled that magic Mm -hmm. back the other way so that even though he's deep underground and far away and hacking his way through these dwarfs, he's also at the same time reading Where's My Cow to Young Sam. And there's this wonderful juxtaposition of the jolly goofy you know is that my cow while he's killing guys and it's just amazing but it also serves the plot because it lets the um the rest of the watch know where he is like they're trying to find him yes and uh yeah no and it's and it's heartbreaking it is because yeah six o'clock comes Mm -hmm. and like we keep cutting back and Sybil's like well he'll make it and your clock must be wrong he will make it and young sam starts crying but then he like sits straight up and no one else can hear it at first. And I don't think they ever do, but he hears it. He's being read to. It's it's taken care of. And it's oh, it's so, so, so good. So okay, let's talk about that though. Let's talk about this thing that's in his head. Like this is this kind of ties into your good thing, and it's a big chunk of the book. Yeah, so this is the uh the summoning dark, mm-hmm. which so let's take a step back. Uh, something that dwarves do underground is they do something called mind sign, mm-hmm. which is just their way of sort of talking about what's going on in the mine. And it's a way to have arguments and it's a way to scream without screaming mm-hmm. because they're in this tight, confined space. It's a lot like the way people describe working in a submarine or working in space. You are you are stuck. There's You're sharing the same air. You can't leave. These people are just here all the time. And there's this wonderful bit where Carrot's talking about what it's like and how when there's panic, it spreads from dwarf to dwarf just 
unstoppably and quickly. Mm -hmm. And the mind sign is to express those feelings uh, without having to sort of actually say anything that might cause a ruckus. And it ties so beautifully into the earliest descriptions of the dwarfs having no religion. This isn't religious, but it is. It's it's very like... Um, uh, uh, Mystic. Yeah, but also, uh, what's the word I want? Where you, where you, um, ritualistic. Mm -hmm. But it's... Well, the dwarves, they don't have gods in that sense, really, but they have tradition. Yes, tradition to the point. deep ritual and some old magic, and mm -hmm. it's even said specifically, it's been around for so long they forgot it's magic. They just assume... It's just a thing. But that... it all ties together mm -hmm. with the, the stoicism of the dwarves mm -hmm. and their atheism, but at the same time, you know, it, it all works together so well. And so the the mind sign, some of it is just ch like dwarf chatter, and yeah. but some of it is this old, old ancient magic. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Carrot talks about how there's, the dwarves have just different, many, many different words for dark. Like Right. The, They're like, in mines, yeah. so there's lots of different ways to describe There's sort the of the homey dark that you have in your own cave, like companionable silence and right. all of that. And then you have um, like sort of uh, the feeling where you reach the end of a tunnel and all of this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, then you have some of the more sort of scary negative ones. And the worst one of all is the summoning dark. Mm -hmm. And this one is um, written on the wall in their own blood of a dying dwarf who's been betrayed by other dwarves. Mm -hmm. And so we've got this dwarf who was, who witnessed the murder. And so, uh, no, he, he witnesses, the, they find um, uh, an artifact mm -hmm. and uh, they, they're trying to hush up what the artifact says. And the dwarf hears that and they just uh, like club him and leave him for dead to just drown in mud in the most but they don't kill him instantly he's, no he he's, lies he's, there, he's lies there. so and leaving another dwarf to die in a mine is like yeah. that's the worst way you can yeah if we're running a society based yeah. on mining we can't do this and so he sort of he curses them mm -hmm. uh with his last breath with this summoning dark which is like a symbol written on a wall mm -hmm. and Vimes is down there and he Yeah, they, in the early parts of the yeah. investigation goes in a door he's not supposed to go in. And he uh cuts his hand and the dark gets in. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what ties into my good thing is Vimes's rage in this because mm -hmm. we've seen Vimes's rage throughout this book series. Sure. He has it and he's tried different methods of controlling it. For a while there he just gave up and just like just drank yeah um to sort of like help control it well but we've talked a lot about how like his main giant arc mm -hmm. is constantly trying to change and become right. a better person and he lifted himself out of the gutter and he stopped drinking but he's still got you know yeah he's cop he's got rage issues and so he's got so much anger and at first it feels like oh this is just vimes's regular anger over mm -hmm. bad stuff that's happening but it grows more and more and you realize that no it's not just vimes's rage it has the same flavor as vimes's rage but it's a lot more fierce and that's the summoning dark it's trying to seize on it and mm -hmm. amplify it and ride it but it's still feels very vimes it's not yes. like it's like something no, possessing time, him the first time you read this book you don't think it's out of character you get these no. every time following a sequence like that you get these about one page cutaways about 
this entity exploring these streets and not understanding where it is and why can't it get in? And you're not really sure what the context of that you is. You think it might just be in Ankh-Morpork, yeah. like just be walking yeah. the streets of Ankh-Morpork. And you realize later it's the summoning dark. His mindscape is the city streets right. because that's, that's, that's his, that's him. the way yeah. he thinks. And that's the summoning dark trying to get in. And every time it fails, it's like, why can't I do this? What is, what is this guy? And this actually is my, this is the quote that I decided, right. which is after, the passage I decided not to read, the, the big long berserker rage, where it still fails to get in. And this is the this is the culmination of all that. This is the payoff to all that. Night forever, but within it a city, shadowy and only real in certain ways. The entity cowered in its alley where the mist was rising. This could not have happened, yet it had. The streets had filled with things, animals, birds, changing shape. Screaming and yelling, and above it all, higher than the rooftops, a lamb rocking back and forth in great slow motions, thundering over the cobbles. And then the bars had come down, slamming down, and the entity had been thrown back. But it had been so close. It had saved the creature. It was getting through. It was beginning to have control. And now this. In the darkness of the inner city, above the rustle of the never-ending rain, it heard the sound of boots approaching. A shape appeared in the mist. It drew nearer. Water cascaded off a metal helmet and an oiled leather cloak as the figure stopped, and entirely unconcerned, cupped its hand in front of its face and lit a cigar. Then the match was dropped on the cobbles, where it hissed out, and the figure said, What are you? The entity stirred like an old fish in a deep pool. It was too... Oh, sorry. I read that in the wrong voice. Ha. What are you? The entity stirred like a f an old fish in a deep pool. It was too tired to flee. I am the summoning dark. It was not, in fact, a sound, but it had it been, it would have been a hiss. Who are you? I'm the watchman. They would have killed his family. The darkness lunged and met resistance. Think of the deaths they have caused. Who are you to stop me? He created me. Quis custodiat ipsos custodis. Who watches the watchman? Me. I watch him. Always. You will not force him to murder for you. What kind of human creates his own policeman? One who fears the dark. And so he should, said the entity with satisfaction. Indeed, but I think you misunderstand. I am not here to keep the darkness out. I'm here to keep it in. There was a clink of metal as the shadowy watchman lifted a dark lantern and opened its little door. Orange light cut through the blackness. Call me the guarding dark. Imagine how strong I must be. The summoning dark backed desperately into the alley, but the light followed it, burning it. And now, said the watchman, get out of town. That's so good because that is how Vimes sees it. It's Vimes keeping his own darkness inside. And the thing is, this whole, we've talked about this yeah. many times. The whole police can watch after themselves message mm -hmm. doesn't work for us. Nope. It, we don't like it. But the reason this particular story resonates with me personally so much is that it's about a man with a strong sense of morality and purpose that can keep his own rage under control. And even this magic-induced rage of this ancient thing, it's a constant struggle, but It's also doesn't. a struggle he's familiar with. Yes. Like, this is a particularly harsh test, but... He's been preparing for it his whole life. It's I constantly compare him and Granny because mm -hmm. there's such similarities between the two of them. They have such a strong, realized sense of self mm -hmm. and right and wrong and what they are here for. And they never waver from that. And that's what I aspire to. Like, if I, like I'm not a tattoo guy, but I have seriously considered getting a tattoo of the Guarding Dark because it's such a strong... Like, it's not just... A thing from my favorite book. Mm -hmm. It's a strong symbol to me. It's such a good, like. You should do it. Tattoos are cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm just. It's just not a not a thing I'm particularly want. But I I'm reading this book again. It's like oh, make yeah. it a Patreon goal. If we hit uh, no. If we, if stop, we hit, stop doing that. If we hit sixty nine uh, followers. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> no, I. But seriously, it's it's a very like it's a very personal thing to me. But mm-hmm. it's it's like a lot of people can relate to this. I'm sure. Just keeping your like your base instincts under control. Yeah, don't be a dick to people. Yeah, but you know, I'm a big, broad-shouldered guy who. At a certain point in my life, people would just see that I was big and broad-shouldered and want to pick a fight with me, and I'm not, I'm not prone to doing that anyway. But like, I, I, you have to work a little harder when you're big, to keep it under control because the slightest thing could set people off. So I, I get it. You have to, you have to watch yourself. I like it. I like it a lot. No, and I like, like I say, I like that it's not an issue of possession. It's no. not, like, I mean, there is some possession elements yeah, to there, it. But... Like I said, it's there to amplify and then sort of ride the wave. Mm-hmm. It's There's... not there to create it. It's there to make it more. Something that ha- that we um, hear about in one of the Tiffany books, and I forget which one, is that, uh, you know, poison goes where poison is wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, this... Is that a Tiffany book? I yeah, thought that was the vampire. I thought that was Carpe Jugular. Mm-mm. No, there's oh. a Tiffany book where there's like a um, an Inquisitor type character ah. who makes everyone hate witches. Ah. Uh, and the idea is that you that only goes... They have to stoke the fires that are already, that are already there. Yeah. Uh, and so all of the rage feels like Vimes. And it is. It's amplified. And uh, there there's more of it. And it's more directed at this one thing that it, maybe it would be normally, but mm-hmm. not much. Yeah. Like... No, I get that. Um, is there anything else on that topic? Because there's there's other things I want to move to, but I don't want to. Uh, no, that that's that's pretty much it. it that okay. like I say, that's my good thing. I just I it was, it was so subtly written that I didn't realize that that's what was had. All the clues were there, Mister Policeman, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't realize it was happening until. No, the second until, time I read yeah, it, I'm, I, I I'm like, oh, I guy understand. Yeah. yeah. No, and there's a lot of that in this, and that's. My favorite kinds of things tend to be very dense things and things that I need to, mm-hmm. like, watch or read more than once to, to pick up on everything. I, I like that kind of thing. Um, jockeying for that top position mm-hmm. of good thing for me, like, I, I sort of copped out and said, all the different characters get All things. the good that, things. That lets me talk about lots yeah. of different things. But one character we haven't even talked about yet is Mr. A.E. Pessimal. Oh, yes. Who is one of my all-time favorite, like, one-off characters from a Discworld book. He is um, one of Vetinari's clerks. But not, not one of the dark not ones. Not one of the dark ones. One of the regular ones who does just... does. He's just, we've watched the watch get bigger and bigger and Vimes spend the city's money. And Vetinari's like, look, you don't get to do this unchecked just like every other department. You get you audited. Were, you were, yeah, you were, uh, like, subject to oversight. I'm going to send a guy to look at your books. That's all. Yeah, and make sure, see what's happening and make sure what's going on. Make sure you're spending my money properly and that you're not wasting things. And he starts sending memos to Vimes and one of them is very good. What is Nobby Knobs for? Yeah, it's a numbered list. And it's like, you're spending too much money here. You could be doing this here. What is Nobby for? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very good. But then, Mm -hmm. like, as and again, it's not invented for this, it all fits organically into everything else that's going on. Like, everything just fits together so perfectly. There's nothing wasted. Mm-hmm. There's, like, almost riots. Like, there's there's the tensions between the dwarfs and the trolls are getting real bad. And it's, it's like... It's coming up on Coombe Valley Day, which is a famous... Uh, yeah, observing, like, the worst battle between the dwarfs and the trolls, who they both believe the other one ambushed. You know. Right, the, when the dwarves ambush the trolls and the tw- trolls ambush the dwarves. Right, and 
yeah, that's that's the undercurrent of all of this. And he's like, sorry, everyone's got to work double shifts. Everyone's got to work mm-hmm. the barricades. And there's some wonderful callbacks to Nightwatch there. And it honestly, the the stuff, to, uh, the callbacks to Nightwatch almost felt like this book was written before that book. Like it feels like, mm. it almost feels like, seeding instead of maybe like, but they felt like very specific callbacks but it was very good like vimes talking about the the barricades they have as like for police officers or just like you know like uh, yeah the black a, and yellow striped yeah, uh, bars of wood. And he's like, no 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 this a isn't real a barricade. barricade yeah but and so pessimals bothered him for like the fifth time and he's like i don't have to all right you know what and he gets this cruel like it's described very specifically as manic every time mm-hmm. he does it. And this is one of my favorite things about Vimes when he gets that glint in his eye where he's like, oh, yeah? Okay. You want to... So you're here to learn about policing. Guess what? Put on a helmet. You're a policeman tonight. Mm-hmm. And and Pessimal's like, wait, 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 what? And he's like pushing him off to Colin and saying, this guy's a policeman. Tonight. And they all get it. Right. Wink. And, yeah. And, and this is a very serious man. And he takes it very seriously. And smash cut to later he ends up fighting a troll mm-hmm. single-handedly trying to save vimes's life yes of all the watchmen mm-hmm. working that night only two of them got injured vimes and this guy because he charged at a troll and vimes gives him an out like he says okay listen the things are about to get I'm serious done fucking you can, yeah you, you, you can you can you i think you can go I, and that's why i say he's a yeah. very serious man he's like no you gave me a job and I'm going to take I'm, it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Tonight, I am a, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Provisional watchman. Yeah. And he's not a coward. He's no. he's very, he's brave. Yeah. And then it turns out, uh, as the book goes on, um, Vimes is starting to realize that all of the reports that he's ignoring are important. And yes, they could several have... times information that he could have had at hand. To help him, he didn't have because it's buried in some paperwork that he ignored. Yeah, and so he realizes he needs someone to go through it. Eventually, he uses his uh, his gooseberry. Well, I want to yeah, talk about that yeah. in a minute, but yeah, um, Pessimal like shows up and says, "I I want to be a watchman." Yeah. And Vimes knows. Yeah. He's like, "I saw it in your eyes. Mm-hmm. I know. I know that's why you're here. I want you to be one too, but I want you to be a special new kind of watchman that handles my books, like like a need... forensic accountant." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like. The guys who brought down Capone. Like, mm-hmm. not a joke, but, like, you have a very valuable skill that people hear. Like, there's long-running jokes about how they don't know where to put the punctuation in right. the reports. And they struggle with, like, basic literacy. And he's like, dude, someone like you on this force would be amazing. And Just like when they brought Tyrion and she knows yes, how. Suddenly she know- they opened the whole door to forensics. Yeah. Now we've got someone who can read the reports. And Vime says... You, I need someone here to know what's important in the reports, and so you know what's important. You're also going to spend two weeks, like or two days out of the week, like on, on the streets, the yeah. yeah, which is very good. And then, yeah, we get the payoff too, because he's had the disorganizer for mm-hmm. three or four books now, and it's like, okay, Terry Pratchett, I get it. Yeah. You keep buying Palm Pilots, and they keep being terrible. I understand what, like, you chose this. I was, but I was buying tech in the late mm-hmm. '90s, early 2000s, before smartphones kind of figured themselves out. I, I get it. There's th- like eat up Martha. Yes. We, we weren't quite there yet. I understand. But the joke had been told. And so he elevated to, to the next level, which is the, for the first time, his disorganizer is useful. He figures out, wait a minute, I can tell this thing to dive through those massive mm-hmm. piles of papers and say, I need you to add up all of these things that we would never notice very quickly. 
oh, yes, of that's course, my that's job. what I'm that's, for. Yeah. I would be happy to do that. And it's so nice because I was ready, I was, like, first time I was ready to roll my eyes, like, mm-hmm. you did this bit. It was very funny. But you I did loved it. it. But it's what is left. Also, when he needs to send a message to Sybil that he's going to be late, he uses the... Oh, now it ties into the clax. Yeah. He uses the or- disorganizer to run to the... And it's a little imp and he actually has to run. Yeah, to the uh, nearest clax tower to send a message. Yeah, he calls it his blue nose attachment. But what all that means is he just has to run and tell the clax tower. Right. And when he comes back, he's like, yeah, I was chased by cats and rats. And he's like, but you're a magical creature. Yeah, but they don't know that. <laughs> and it's... Like, like again, I really loved this bit. I'm sure I said that in those books. Like, but for the... It's like, something else. The imp feels like a character mm-hmm. in a way. And I, I love it. It's, it's very good. And again, it's a good payoff to that long running thing. It's like he finally... Like, and it's kind of a, another step in Vimes. Because he learns how to use yes, the imp a little bit. But it's bit. just like rolling his eyes at having to have a troll and a dwarf. Mm-hmm. Rolling his eyes at having to have the werewolf, mm-hmm. all of those things. Eventually, he's like, okay, now that I'm done being pissy about this, how is it useful? Oh, oh it, it is, is useful. And I, I relate to that so much as well, because my knee-jerk reaction to things is so often completely wrong. And if you stop and think for a minute, this is a good thing, stupid. So, you know, that's I, I, I enjoyed that. And one thing we didn't really talk about with, with Nobby and Colin mm-hmm. that I wanted to come back to real quick is... There's some discussion about why they're useful. Right. Why he, I mean, I said that, but I wanted to get into that for a minute. Because he talks about how having two old, experienced Watchmen, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they we, we dealt with this in previous books. We deal with it a bit here. They feel very sort of, like, they're still a little racist. Mm-hmm. They, they say some things about dwarfs and trolls that are like, oh, dude. Don't say that. It's not like that anymore. And, uh, like... They're they don't fit in the modern watch. Like as I'm pretty sure we dealt with this in the previous book, but here they're still a little bit like that, and they're still keen to prove themselves. But it's like we talk about why he keeps them around, and it's because having those connections, like Colin, is basically he's, he's what in, is he's in charge of traffic now. Still, yeah, but there's and... a there's a diff, there's a thing he has, and I don't remember what the title was, but it's like he's the liaison, he's a, like yeah, to and... all the retired guys and mm-hmm. all the guys they arrested that they're okay with now, and all the and he has his own office, and it's as it's called the twaddle room. Yeah, they're is, like in yeah. an old lemonade factory, yeah. and they couldn't get rid of some of the weird because of the historic preservation society, right. and so, but it's. Uh, it's a place where people can just sort of swing by and have like a friendly chat mm-hmm. with uh, with Colin. Those retired watchmen who aren't watchmen anymore, but still want to gossip about what's going on. And or even some sort of semi-retired criminals who are just sort of yeah. like, they just remember fat old Fred. Yeah. And so they swing by and they'll talk about what they hear. And, and so Fred's got his ear to the ground yeah. in, a, in a very important way. And there's some discussion of Nobby being similar. Mm-hmm. Like these old school guys, are not changing with the times and that's not great but on the other hand guys who have been here for 30 years or whatever it is like they do know things the timeline is vague Mm -hmm. on purpose which is fine but yeah it's it's useful because these guys back in conan times are plugged yeah are plugged into the city in ways that the new guys never would be and it's it's so good because yeah it's why are they still here why would vimes in this modern watch keep these guys and i really like that i like for the first time i get it and even later, like toward the end of the mm-hmm. book in the third act, there's this device that Mimes wants to secure. 
well, guess what? I've got a I've got an excellent petty thief here mm-hmm. who who already is did it. Infamous for raiding battlefields and nicking what's most valuable before anyone else gets there. And yeah, all the dwarfs are looking around. Well, where's this thing? Where's this thing? Oh, I've got it. Like <laughs> it's in his pocket. Nobby, did you find that very important thing I told you to look for? No. Wait. Nobby. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Because his natural reaction is no, of course mm-hmm. not. So, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Mr. Shine. Oh, man. If The quote that I chose not to read that I would have read that mm-hmm. would have been like fucking 10 pages mm-hmm. is where Vimes meets with Mr. Shine. He, Who's kind of the king of the trolls Yes. Yeah, so what happens with Mr. Shine is uh, there's the metamorphor... Rock. Uh-huh. Um Metaphorological, yeah, whatever. It's it's metamorphic and metaphor, yeah, smashed together. Metamorphor. Help. No, Um, I I get it. But he's talked about it before. Yeah, where city trolls start to look more like bricks and concrete. Yep, and and mountain trolls look more mountainy. Right. And Mister Shine is made of diamonds. Right. Uh, so that because of the way it reflect reflect. Oh yes, refracts light. Reflects light. Speaks good. Refracts. Uh light um he has a cooler brain mm-hmm. so even though he's down in the plains where it's hot uh he can still think the way uh yeah all, they the, can all, the, up in the, all the heat is reflected yeah. off of him so he's always cool no matter what so he is and he says that part of the reason that this coom valley thing has gotten so out of control is every time like a king of the trolls shows up uh it just gets in everyone's head that it's time for to, to reenact Coombe Valley right. again. That's sort of like a magical, mythical type thing. Right. Um, but he is not into it. He is he runs an academy for Thud, which is a game we've talked about before. It's a little bit like chess, mm-hmm. uh, but it's dwarves and trolls fighting on basically a chessboard. It's they actually released, and unfortunately, it doesn't work on my Mac anymore. There might be a version out there that will work on some people's computer. Like it's a freeware mm-hmm. thing that, but that was like an official thing. Cause I played it. And for the context of the, of the book, it actually helps a little. Cause it is like chess in the sense that it takes about five minutes to learn it. Mm-hmm. It's got very simple rules, but also pretty complex dynamics, which that's, it's not easy to design something like that from scratch. And maybe he took an existing game and just changed it. I don't know. I have but, no idea, but it, it worked really well as like a, a cause I'm not a huge like board game kind of guy, right. but I, I picked it up pretty quick and was like, oh, this is, yeah, you need some strategy to play this. This is pretty good. And so it's it's just dwarves and trolls fighting. And mm-hmm. he is talking to Vimes about what's going on and explaining some stuff to him. And he says, he explains that Thud is useful because it makes you, you have to play three games in your head. You're playing, you're playing yourself, playing the dwarves or the trolls. Mm-hmm. And then you're playing the, either the dwarves like you're playing your enemy as right. well. You have to know what your enemy's thinking. And then you have to know what you're thinking and what your enemy's thinking at the same time in order to be right. really good at it. Uh, so he is using it as a tool to teach dwarves to think like trolls and trolls to think like dwarves so that they can learn that they're like all yeah, just people. Yeah, he's got this whole magical chess club mm-hmm. of young dwarfs and trolls mm-hmm. like who are united by this dumb thing. And are gonna like he talks about a dwarf that's gonna go off and learn with the trolls how to be a dwarf, right? <laughs> it's like wow, yeah, okay, that's pretty cool. And so that that whole sequence is so good. And he talks about how 
people don't take trolls seriously mm-hmm. uh, because they think they're these big lumbering, yeah, the slow, yeah, club wielding, you know. And he says that that's what humans and dwarves have done to trolls. They've taken this civilization that was around before either this ancient civilization with that had writing and had mm-hmm. um, culture and story and music, all of this stuff before, like hum- while well, humans were still scrabbling around in the dirt, well, you and they had reduced a theory it. That the devices that yeah. they talk about are troll technology. I didn't really pick up on that. I thought they were. It doesn't matter where they right. come from is the is the short answer. The devices Could are like alien... extra double magical things. Like one of the yeah. things they find is uh, like a perpetual motion machine. Uh, the MacGuffin, the thing that we're kind of after, is a cube that has recorded. It's um, basically like an audio recorder, only right. it has incredible capacity. It can right. record over thousands of years of just like tree noises because it was in the forest. Right. And it, it to me, it felt like old troll technology. Oh, it just felt like one of those classic sci-fi things where it's like we dropped this technology that you understand mm-hmm. what it is, but in this world they don't know what it is. So to them, it's amazing, you know. But uh, humans and dwarves have sort of forced trolls out of their sort of natural habitat where they're like where their silicate brains work, right? Uh, down into the plains where it's hot and they they can't think properly, and they and all of this There's and that. Some- pretty subtle stuff about race and culture in there i think is very good there's like it feels really sort of tasteless and again two Mm -hmm. white guys talking about this but (laughs) like to use fantasy races to talk about race relations Mm -hmm. and culture relations and all that and because it's so subtle because he's not saying one for one right these guys represent these guys instead it's a broader thing i think there's some really good messages in there i think there's some good stuff about appropriation in Mm -hmm. some of these i think there's some good stuff about long-running feuds that are pointless and stoked by people who whose interests just want to keep everyone down and Mm -hmm. like there's there's a lot of really good stuff about that in there and to me that's the secret to doing that is not saying okay so these aliens are clearly this group of people right like don't do that (laughs) elves are irish people yeah like no Instead, do it like this. Like Talk about the broader themes. You know how people yeah. are, and people are like this no matter what. Eh, yep, you're right. Um, but that whole sequence was so good. Yes, it was It was very good. Um, we need to start wrapping things up. Do you have any, any other? Oh, well, why don't I do my quote? Yes, please do. Uh, because I didn't do that quote because it, I was- Yeah, we I, both I was highlighting and I was our, like, oh my yeah, God, it just keeps going and very going and long. Going. Um, I'm going to do a quote about my, probably my favorite Discworld character, Otto. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> he's barely in this book, but you, you know. Yeah, he's barely in this book and yet I managed. Yep. Um, so Otto is uh, out taking pictures of like the goings on, the riots and stuff because mm-hmm. it's all news and him and Vimes talk for a little bit. And Vime says, uh, it's strange they don't seem to mind you, Otto, he said, calming down a little. Well, I'm not official, said Otto. I do not have their sword and their badge. I do not threaten. I am just a working stiff, and I make them laugh. Vime stared at the man. He'd never thought about it before, but yes, little fussy Otto, with his red-lined black opera cloak with pockets for all his gear his shiny black shoes, his carefully cut widow's peak, and, not least, his ridiculous accent that grew thicker or thinner depending on who he was talking to, did not look like a threat. He looked like a joke. He looked funny. A joke. A music hall vampire. 
It had never previously occurred to Vimes that, just possibly, the joke was on other people. Make them laugh, and they're not afraid. That, in particular, struck me as very insightful. About, yeah. Right? Because there are definitely cultural things where you're very much in the minority in a, in a larger group of other people, and you don't want to come off as threatening, so you play up the whatever less threatening aspects yeah. of things people know about your group yeah the things you're doing so that yeah you don't like you're in so a they threatening don't perceive situ- you as a, yeah exactly. yeah because you're you're the one who's actually being threatened because you're in a scary situation right. i i've definitely heard people of mm-hmm. color describe that but not it's not exclusive to them like no. it happens anytime someone is sort of an other in a larger group and it's it's a very good human nature thing no it's a thing you have to do as a woman sometimes yeah. you either have to like you you play up your haha we're one of the guys because i would like to leave now yeah. uh or whatever well it's like i was talking about before when you're a big guy mm-hmm. you have to play up like uh, i i i look at me i'm clumsy and mm-hmm. i i'm i'm a I wolf am an oaf. and i'm a yeah <laughs> oh yeah um but yeah i liked i liked all of that a good deal um i also like talking about it being a good ensemble mm-hmm. book it's a good watch ensemble book but also as we talked about last time with Going Postal, he's built Ankh-Morpork to the point where all of the things from other books that were not really, like, that nothing to do with William DeWord, mm-hmm. nothing to do with Moise von Lippig, but these things inform what's going on. Vimes is now to the point where he thinks about what the, as as uh, p- politicians call it mm-hmm. now, the optics, which I fucking hate that word, but what it looks like to the outside world. We can't have a troll officer carrying a dead dwarf out of that mine. Right. Because Otto will take a picture of that. He's now thinking in terms of, like, his thoughts have changed because there's a newspaper now. The post office, Mm -hmm. they talk about the cabbage stamp that came up in the other one. There's a couple of other things, like he came up with a Coombe Valley stamp, which is fanning the flames. That that idiot idiot at the the post post office, office. yeah. And there's talk of the postal coaches, Mm -hmm. like the mail coaches, when they're trying to get to uh, Coombe Valley. And a lot of the stuff about the clacks as well, yeah. Yeah, but it's not... It's not about those things. They're just part of the landscape, and he doesn't ignore that he's added that to the tapestry, and I love that. I love that this world, like, we keep seeing different parts of it, but all of the different parts affect all the other parts. Like, as big a part as Vetinari usually is in a watchbook, and as much as he was in Going Postal, he's not in this one very much, but he's, you know. They're all really great, though. Every yeah. time. This is not as good uh, a Vimes or a uh, Vetinari book as the previous oh, one. Oh, no, no. But, Yeah. There's, I mean, as always, the bits between the two yeah. of them. There's a bit where he's telling Vetinari mm-hmm. what happened with A.E. Pessimal, mm-hmm. and Vetinari literally doesn't, like, he repeats it five yeah. times. A.E. Pessimal. Are, are we sure we're talking about the right part? You're not saying the wrong name. He, you, you know he which one. a troll, right? And, like, I believe of all the characters in all of these books, mm-hmm. Vimes is the only one who can occasionally do that to Vetinari. We can actually throw him for, like... Vimes, on a good day, can throw Vetinari for a loop. Like, he can't always do it. And that's one of the things I think that Vetinari likes about him. Keeps is that, him on his toes. Because yeah. he never does it in a way that's threatening. He just keeps him guessing. And that's good. All right. Need to wrap things up. Okay. Any any final thoughts? Um, No, we just need to go or else I'll talk about it forever. Yeah, again. Yeah. My favorite book. This is probably the seventh or eighth time I've read this book. And there's still things I'm getting out of it. Is yep. the thing. It's a very dense book. There are things, and there are things that I'm looking at in a different way yes. than I looked at it, mm-hmm. uh, like five or ten years ago when I read it the first time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so our cliche count, and mm-hmm. this actually ties into one final talking point. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's almost none of the usual ones. There's one gingerly. There's none of the other ones at all. I specifically wanted to count occurrences of the word thud, though. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yes. This is a good recurring device. Now, device with a small d. Yeah. Not a big d. Um, I didn't count mentions of the actual game because that doesn't count. Just in the prose. But there's... Descriptions a... of things happening. There's a rhythm in this book, too, where he doesn't even always use the word thud, but he talks about rhythmic things and hammering I things. I didn't count those either. That are, but like, I just like, did a find. Right, but th- on top of this, yes. you've also got that. He, and he talks a lot about wearing down... like. Wearing down the old ways and a drip of water changing things and thud. Oh, that's a good thud, that's a good thud, theme because thud. then we literally find the original like the 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 combatants in Coombe Valley, the two leaders, and what they were really doing was signing a peace treaty. And they were trapped in a cave and they died playing thud, mm-hmm. and they turned to stone basically. And over the years, the drip, 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 like that all yeah. that all tied together so well. But sixteen times. Again, mm-hmm. not references. There's over 30. But it, it's not like gingerly where every time no, we hear like that, it. we're like, how did he do it? No, it's a it's a very good, like, subtle thing. And it's always used in different contexts. It's always mm-hmm. used, like, in different ways. And it's, it's just a nice little device. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, I love this book so much. Uh, my grade is an A+. I knew that before we even reread it. Just, like, no chance it wasn't. My grade was an A. I really mm-hmm. liked it. There was a few odds and sods I didn't love, mm-hmm. but I... I yeah. really, really like it. Liked is it is one of the best books. Yeah. Uh, so that's all for this time. Next. Oh, Pune. Oh, yes, of course. What do we got? Um, it's a short one. Okay. Vetinari waved a languid hand. Full carts congesting the street, Vimes, is a sign of progress, he declared. Only in the figurative sense, sir, said Vimes. Yeah, that was. Uh, that's not exactly a pun, but it is like play on words yeah. for sure. All right, so next time we will be doing the third Tiffany book, uh, Wintersmith. Ooh, I like this one. Which is one of your favorites, I know. Yeah. It's one of the weaker ones for me because it leans on some mythology stuff that mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with, but we'll, we'll discuss that next time. This has been a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Amanda Smith for Algar Productions and Giant Black Albatross, copyright 2020 and 2021. For full archives, RSS feed, and more details about us, visit thedeathofpodcast.com. And for access to our show notes, bonus photos, advanced copies of episodes, and even the opportunity to pick something for us to review, consider a donation at patreon.com slash algar. That's A-A-L-G-A-R. Thanks for listening.